The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Play fake. Beathard sets up deep in the pocket. Goes down the field for Smith. C.J. Beathard. Extra point good. Start of the fourth quarter. Iowa pulling out the big gun. And the Hawkeyes reclaim the lead. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. This is our special 2016 Rose Bowl preview podcast. It features Steve Batterson, who looks back at the Hawks' Big Ten championship game loss to the Michigan State Spartans, and he previews the matchup between Iowa's defense and Stanford's offense in the Rose Bowl game. We also have two special guests in this show, the legendary Bob Brooks, who reminisces about Iowa's five previous trips to to the Rose Bowl and makes his prediction for this game. And from Palo Alto, California, Derek Belch, co-founder of Striver Labs, which has created the first virtual reality practice tool for college and professional football quarterbacks pioneered at Stanford during this past season. Then you'll hear from Scott Docterman, who previews the Rose Bowl matchup between Iowa's offense and the Cardinal defense, plus special teams, and he talks other Big Ten Bowl games. And you'll also hear from Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our programs, which includes sports reporter Scott Docterman of the Gazette and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, plus our own Tyler Chemeland. Game highlights are courtesy of Fox Sports with announcers Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike programs are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years. The Iowa Hawkeyes are in California, making final preparations to play in their sixth ever Rose Bowl game, their first in 25 years. Their opponent is the Pac-12 Conference champion Stanford Cardinal in a game to be played on New Year's Day at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. This game is the first ever meeting between Iowa and Stanford. The Hawkeyes are 2-3 and three overall in Rose Bowl games, winning their first two under then-head coach Forrest Evashevsky and losing their last three games with with Hayden Fry at the helm. Overall, Iowa has a 14-13-1 record in its 25 previous bowl appearances. Under head coach Kirk Ferentz, the Hawkeyes are 6-6 six six in bowl games, including two appearances in the Orange Bowl. Iowa finished the regular season 12-0 and 8-0 and in Big Ten play, winning the Conference West Division title. The Hawkeyes then lost a heartbreaker 16-13 to Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship game played on December 6th in Lucas Oil 
Memorial Stadium in Indianapolis. The Spartans are playing in the college football playoffs, while the Hawkeyes got the consolation prize of playing in the granddaddy of them all in Pasadena on New Year's Day. Stanford will be the fourth team that Iowa has played this season that has won 10 or more games, and the Hawkeyes have played eight teams that are in bowl games. Stanford is 11-2 and 8-1 in conference play, defeating USC in the Pac-12 title game to gain its third Rose Bowl berth in the last four years and its 15th overall. Its only two losses this year came in the opener at Northwestern, 16-6, and at home to Oregon in November, 38-36. The Cardinal defeated Wisconsin in the 2012 Rose Bowl game, then lost to Michigan State in the 2013 contest. It's a school record seventh straight bowl appearance for the Cardinal, and overall, Stanford has competed in 27 bowl games with a record of 12, 13, and 1. Iowa is ranked 5th in the all-important CFP poll, 6th by Associated Press, and 7th in the coaches poll. The Cardinal is ranked 6th in the CFP poll, 4th in the AP poll, and 6th in the coaches poll. Stanford is a slight favorite in this Rose Bowl game. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz is completing his 17th year at Iowa. His overall record as a head coach is 139 and 107. His record at the helm of the Hawkeyes, 127 and 86. Ference, along with Oklahoma's Bob Stoops, are now the two longest tenured head coaches in college football. Ference was named Big Ten Coach of the Year for the fourth time in his career. Only Michigan's Bo Schembechler has won that award more times. He won it six. Kirk was also named Eddie Robinson National Coach of the Year and Woody Hayes Coach of the Year by the Touchdown Club of Columbus. Stanford head coach David Shaw, or to be completely accurate, the Bradford M. Freeman Director of Football, is completing his fifth year as a head coach, all at Stanford, where his record is 53-14. and 14. Prior to that, he was an assistant for the Cardinal. He also played at Stanford. Like Ference, Shaw was one of the five recipients of the AFCA Regional Coach of the Year Awards this season. Kirk Ference has previously participated in two Rose Bowls, both as an Iowa assistant coach under Hayden Fry. Iowa offensive coordinator Greg Davis and wide receivers coach Bobby Kennedy have both participated in three Rose Bowl games while on the staff at Texas. Former Iowa Athletics Director Bump Elliott is in the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame, and he's participated in that game as an athletic director at Iowa, an assistant coach for the Hawkeyes, and at Michigan as a player, head coach, and associate athletic director. Television for this Rose Bowl game is ESPN with Brent Musburger and Jesse Palmer. As always, the Hawkeyes radio network will carry the game with Gary Dolphin and Ed Podolak. ESPN is also doing the national radio broadcast, and the game will be on XM and Sirius Satellite Radio, Channel 80, and the Big Ten Network will have extensive pre- and post-game coverage. Great story. Compelling and rich. Let's hear from Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who provides an overview of his staff and team preparations for the 2016 Rose Bowl game against the Stanford Cardinal. As you might imagine, our team's very, very excited uh, about this uh, opportunity and about the trip. I think so far they've done a good job uh, handling the preparation. And But bowl games are really unique. Uh, they always have been and still uh, remain that way. So you know, a couple objectives that we have, uh, certainly we get out there, first of all, is to enjoy the events. You know, all bowl games are tremendous. The Rose Bowl doesn't get any better than that. 
that. Yeah, I know that uh, we'll receive great hospitality, great opportunities to take in some things that are unique to California and uh, Southern California in particular. But just the basics, uh, you end up staying in a beautiful hotel. The meals are great. Just a lot of nice things about it. You get treated real, real well and players get bowl gifts, all, all that stuff too. So, you know, that, that's part of the experience. And then the other part, obviously, is trying to get ready for the game and having the focus that it takes to prepare well. One thing about a bowl game, typically, uh, especially in this kind of bowl, you're always going to play an outstanding opponent. That's the case. So uh, we've got to get our preparation down and uh, be prepared to play the kind of football that uh, is representative of the kind of football team that we've had this season. So that that's really the challenge. You have to have a good plan. And then most importantly, I think the players have to have a good grasp and understanding of what it takes to be successful and uh, be ready to go on game day because that, that still is ultimately uh, what you remember the most about any bowl trip bowl experience. So again, we're just thrilled to be in the Rose Bowl. It's a great honor for our football team, one that the, the team has worked hard to uh, achieve and, and earn. And uh, now the next uh, next step is to be able to compete at a level that we want to. So all that being said, you know, things are going well so far. Ferentz was asked about his team's health heading into the Stanford game. You know, we had a lot of guys uh, come out of the last game uh, a little bit hobbled and, and uh, limited. So really fortunate because, uh, you know, we probably would have had uh, some key guys missing that next Saturday. We're, we're a lot further down the road now, so that's good. But, you know, it's just part of football. You learn to live with those things and you deal with them and don't make too big a deal of them. And, uh, you know, I think if you do that, the team team learns to adjust to it. And, uh, you know, you just kind of roll with the flow a little bit. But uh, it's an opportunity to get guys back. And I think more every bit as important as the physical part is just the mental part. You know, we went... Uh, Coming out of camp, we went 14 weeks, uh, 13 of those we had uh, games uh, that weekend. So, you know, that's, that's a real, uh, I don't want to call it a strain or pressure mentally, but it's it's an exercise, you know, and it takes uh, takes something out of you. So I thought it was really important for the guys to have two weeks just to kind of get back away from it. Not not, not unlike the first couple of days of the bye week where you just uh, remove yourself from it, relax a little bit, unwind, take care of some other things in your life, your academics, your social life, all that type of thing, and then uh, start getting back to football. And Kirk discusses how he communicates the importance and history of the Rose Bowl game and the entire trip to his team. The Evashevsky years, maybe if I show him highlights, uh, so we show him positive reinforcement. But, uh, you know, my memories are blur too. I'm, I'm, I'm eager to go, and I've been there twice, but I'm eager to go just to kind of rekindle things a little bit. Uh, the last two times uh, that I've been, the only two times I've been there, we stayed in places that were a little bit different. We were in Pasadena, one year city of industry, I believe, the next time. This is going to be a totally different setup. And, and what I kind of equate this to maybe is our, you know, our first Orange Bowl experience was good. I, I don't mean that it wasn't good, but it was it was you know, it was good. Uh, our last one was outstanding. Everything about that trip was outstanding. I kind of anticipate that uh, with this trip as well. You know, we're staying uh, I think in a pretty uh, populated area, and uh, the trips to the practice facility, which is really key in bowl preparation. That may sound funny to you, but how long players are on the bus to and from practice is really important. It can really actually uh, you know take away from an experience or can add to it. And this one, I think we're 20 minutes from practice, which is really a good thing. So you know, just everything uh, I've learned about the setup. It's it's going to be first class, excited about that. But it's, it still gets down to what we do in the practice field and then our, our meetings. And then the other part is how we handle the uh, the good things. And, and again, you want you want the players to enjoy that. They've earned that. You know, this is something they've earned. But you also want them to have a, an awareness of what it is we're trying to get, uh, get accomplished at the end of the day. Time now to hear from the first of our two special guests in this program, Bob Brooks, who looks back at the five previous Iowa Rose Bowl games and talks a little bit about this upcoming contest. Brooksy is the quintessential journalist. He's been in the business 67 years, covering everything from the Olympics to high school athletics and, of course, college football. Bob's a 10-time winner of the Iowa Sportscaster of the Year Award, and his sports reports now can be heard weekday afternoons at 4.50 and 5.50 p.m. on KN. 
KMRY Radio in Cedar Rapids, 1450 AM and 93.1 FM. Bob Iowa's getting ready to make its sixth appearance in the Rose Bowl. It has a 2-3 and three record through the first five games. We wanted to reminisce with you a bit about the previous five games, and you've personally attended all of them. Uh, this conversation kind of be in three parts with a little history mixed in. Uh, Forrest Evashevsky became head coach at Iowa in 1952. He took over a program that was pretty much mired around 500 records, plus or minus. And five years later, his 1956 team went 9-1. and one. Garnered Iowa's first ever Rose Bowl appearance where they beat Oregon State 35-19. His 58 team had a an 8-1-1 one and one record on the season, returned to the Rose Bowl for the second time where they defeated Cal 38-12. And then uh, they barely missed out in 61. They went 8-1. and one. Only loss was to Minnesota. But back at that time, the Big Ten had a no-repeat rule. So even if you were conference champion, you couldn't always go back to the Rose Bowl the following year. Uh, no, you couldn't. That was one of the quirky rules of that time. When the uh, 1950s started, why the Big Ten wouldn't allow any Big Ten team to go. And uh, then they had the no-repeat rule after Illinois won the uh, first Pac-10 Big Ten appearance at the Rose Bowl in a uh, good-time upset. Is there, among the, the Evashevsky years there and, and those Rose Bowl appearances, those two appearances, is there one of those that is more memorable to you than the other, uh, or one that maybe was more surprising, a season that was more surprising than, than another? Well, I would think that uh, the uh, first Rose Bowl game is the one you remember the best, and uh, Kenny Plain, as the quarterback, uh, engineered the team that day at the dear old Rose Bowl, and it was uh, just uh, a euphoric experience. You remember what it was like for the fans back then when Iowa got that first Rose Bowl invitation? It was it even more, I mean, this season, uh, the going to the Rose Bowl against Stanford, is, it was such a surprising season in many ways, and the fans have kind of gone nuts. It's been 25 years since then, but I would imagine that very first Rose Bowl appearance was similar in that respect. Well, it was, and uh, Evie was uh, uh, king of the mountain. He became a, a heroic figure, and uh, when he went back and put his stamp on it in the uh, second Rose Bowl against Cal and won big again, that is the game remembered by Bobby Jeter's 175 yards of rushing that up until the last couple of years that has stole the show. It has been the most uh, remembered individual feat in running the football in Rose Bowl history. It bettered what uh, O.J. Simpson had done to Indiana when they made their rare appearance at Pasadena. So uh, you remember uh, those things, and uh, Cal had to be remembered because Joe Cap was the quarterback of the Cal Bears, and uh, he too put on a big show that day, and Iowa countered with uh, what had become a signature for Evie, and that was uh, the defense and uh, line play. Rather uh, similar to what uh, Coach Ferentz has been able to go through this year. He hasn't been uh, uh, knighted yet like Evie was, but uh, he's well on his way. Of course, back then, Iowa played Notre Dame nearly every year, and in fact, beat them often enough that Notre Dame 
team wouldn't play Iowa anymore on a regular schedule. But okay, so Iowa does those first two Rose Bowl appearances under Evashevsky. Then there's a long drought that ensued through four head coaches and, and also the controversy between Evie and Ray Nagel at the time. And then Hayden Fry is named head coach in 1979. And as most Iowa fans know, he brought a whole new style of offense to the Big Ten. Three years later, Iowa goes eight and four. It gains its third Rose Bowl trip where it lost to Washington 28 to nothing. Then his 85 team went 10-2 and 0. Got the fourth Rose Bowl berth, the second under Hayden. They also lost that 45-28 to UCLA. And then, and again in 1990, 8-4-0. The fifth Rose Bowl game, the 1991 loss to Washington, and that one 46-34. Although late in the game, late in the fourth quarter, that was still a contest that Iowa had the chance to win. Yes, they did, and uh, they came on with a uh, great rally in the fourth quarter of that game. That was probably as satisfying as it was going to get in the Rose Bowl for Hayden Fry. He uh, could never quite squeeze out the uh, win that he certainly deserved with what his uh, record was and the way the team had played in his regime and made all those bowl appearances in the uh, Alphabet Bowl many times uh, the winner the uh, best I think that uh, uh, Hayden had the best game was in El Paso Texas in the Sun Bowl as uh, everything clicked on that day and Iowa had it had to be uh, one of uh, Hayden's finest hour but Hayden never quite got to that pinnacle and came home with a Rose Bowl trophy but I've learned over a period of time that uh, if you play in the Rose Bowl and you you look back on your playing career, you say, well, we appeared in the Rose Bowl, and that seems to uh, kind of put salve on those wounds that uh, to this day remembered as uh, a uh, terrific Rose Bowl experience, but uh, no victories in uh, the Fry era, the Arroyo Seco in Pasadena, but now Kirk Ferentz, who has missed out on uh, two, he has qualified the team twice to go to the Rose Bowl, but because of the politics involved in as the bowl uh, series developed, uh, Kirk Ferris never got that chance, and that's one of the happiest uh, days of my life to see uh, Coach Ferris get his shot at that Rose Bowl trophy. Now, I remember I was in the stands when Iowa went to the first Rose Bowl under Hayden, and I remember the last game of the year, folks up in the press box, the old press box, tossing roses out after the circumstances were such that they they gained that berth. And and again, back then, especially after the drought uh, since Evie's Rose Bowl trips, that was a a really high time of spirits for Iowa fans when Fry took them to his first of those three games. Well, we are in the throes of uh, history with uh, this present team going to Pasadena on uh, Thursday, uh, Christmas Eve, and then getting ready to play the game a week later. So it uh, it is something that is uh, payback time, I would think, for Coach Ferentz's uh, quarter of a century work as both a head coach and an assistant at Iowa. Is this the most surprising season for you of the different Rose Bowl bursts that have been gained for the teams? Uh, yes, it is. Practically every uh, person in uh, the Big Ten voted for either Nebraska or Minnesota or Wisconsin to win the West. But Iowa was unbeaten 
to win the West. It, it is a miracle for sure. And in uh, one of those bowl games, it became evident that of all people, Michigan State had uh, put in a claim for a Rose Bowl appearance that uh, Iowa took away from them. And this year, it was Iowa's only loss in the Big Ten championship game that, uh, again, Michigan State was able to mount that uh, rather uh, miraculous 22-player drive, and uh, it took nine minutes of playing time to get down to the goal line, and finally, the Spartans were able to get through the Iowa defense for a uh, touch-and-go play on third down to get the win at Indy and qualify for the playoff, and Iowa got the consolation prize. Not a bad deal, the Rose Bowl game. Heck of a consolation prize. I should say. Without necessarily asking for your prediction, although we'd take it if you wanted to share it, but what are you anticipating? Iowa's fifth ranked in the college football playoff polls. Stanford is sixth. Stanford's picked to win this game by most people, and it's the first ever meeting between the two schools. Yeah, the uh, Rose Bowl game still has that aura about it, and uh, I am sure that Coach Ferentz in the uh, weeks of uh, practice that they have already had, and or days of practice and film study, that uh, they will be ready to uh, play a uh, solid defense. Uh, They'll be geared to uh, go the entire 60 minutes, and I am sure that uh, they have one thing on their mind, as they have all year, and that's uh, just just win, baby, and uh, it uh, shapes up as a very, very intriguing match. I'm picking Iowa to win by a touchdown at uh, 28 to 21. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on, up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. Time now for our first Reporter's Notebook segment in this show. This one with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve looks back at the Big Ten Championship game against Michigan State, and he previews the Rose Bowl matchups between Iowa's defense and Stanford's offense. Steve, we're going to do our deep dive, Iowa's defense versus Stanford's offense. But before we go there, your closing thoughts on the Big Ten title game. Really exciting football game. Great defense by both teams. Some fluke plays. The ricochet interception in the end zone comes to mind against Iowa. But uh, overall, a heck of a ball game. And I think it raised Iowa's standing in a lot of the national prognosticators' eyes. Yeah, I think uh, as bizarre as it, as it is, all, all of those wins that pursue Seeded it, and you know, it, it took a, a loss in a game that was decided in the final seconds and on a drive that took 22 plays and shoot nine minutes off the clock and left Iowa awfully disappointed. But I, I think Iowa gained a, a real measure of respect uh, for the way they competed and, and how how uh, how they stood toe to toe with a with a Michigan State team that people had a lot of respect for throughout the season. And, and you know that, that's one thing Iowa can walk away from there. It certainly wasn't what they wanted. You know, a little more offense. 
to keep that defense off the field a little bit in the second half probably would have made a difference in that game. And, uh, you know, kind of a tough one to swallow after 12 wins and, and you know, what had been a perfect start to the season. But, uh, you know, the type of the type of game that uh, I think a lot of us thought it would be. It was a, you know, grinded out defensive struggle between two teams that, that you know, seemed to thrive playing that way. And as uh, you, know, you start to take a peek ahead here, the, the, the potential is certainly there for more of the same moving forward. All four of us who do the Hawkeyes' mic predictions picked a much higher scoring game in that Big Ten title game, as did most people who, who made picks. And I guess if one thing surprised me in the game, it was how low scoring it was. While I think there's a stylistic similarity that's going to happen in this Rose Bowl in terms of rock'em, sock'em, tough, hard-nosed physical football, I do think this game's going to be higher scoring. And Scott has done the Iowa offense versus the Stanford defense matchup. You're going to do now Iowa's defense versus Stanford's offense. And that's an intriguing matchup as well because Stanford's got a terrific offense and Iowa's defense has had several weeks to prepare. And I think that's probably beneficial. I think they've had a couple of weeks to kind of get healthy. I think that's significant for a couple of guys in particular, most notably Nate Meyer, I think, has had a chance to get his legs back under him and let that shoulder heal a little bit. And, and you know, I think that's that's significant. I think, uh, you know, I would need to help him admire on the field. He, he certainly is a kid who's, who has uh, stepped up and, and gutted it out throughout the, the final weeks of the regular season. But uh, to have him available and to have him somewhat healthy, uh, you know, I, I think is certainly something that uh, can only help the Hawkeyes as they get ready to face, as you indicated, an extremely talented Stanford offense that has had, uh, you know, no problem putting up points on a lot of teams this season. Stanford runs a pro-style physical offense, much like Iowa's great offensive line, but it's very complex. They run their offense out of more than 50 different formations. That's an awful lot to prepare for, even with extra time. Yeah, it really is, and, and it's uh, it's worked. You know, you know, virtually everything they've tried this season has been fairly effective, and, and it's, uh, you know, this will be the most probably productive offense that Iowa has seen this year. Yeah, you know, they've got a you know a terrific fifth-year senior quarterback and Kevin Hogan who doesn't maybe get quite the attention that that he would if if uh, you know if Christian McCaffrey weren't so good at running back. But I mean, you put those two guys. Uh, in in the backfield and, and there's a lot of magic that can happen and, and uh, uh, it has on a frequent basis. I mean they they threw pretty much the kitchen sink at USC in the in the Pac-12 title game and uh, you know that, that gives Iowa an awful lot to prepare for. Uh, the, the best thing that the Hawkeyes have right now going for them is, is some time to kind of deal with those things and get used to uh, to those different looks. It, it, it's going to be an interesting challenge. It really will. Stanford's offense, much like the Hawkeyes, very balanced. Fifty six hundred six. 68 total yards this year, 51.6% run, 48.4% pass. Their, Their time of possession stat is amazing. They're first in the FBS. We thought much of the season Iowa's time of possession stat was pretty impressive until the Michigan State game, much much of which happened on that last drive. But Stanford's time of possession averages 35 minutes, 23 seconds a game. Yeah, you know, and it all starts up front. I mean, you, you take a look at, at uh, you know, the veteran group that they've got up there. and uh, It's an interesting collection of players. I mean, in Joshua Garnett, you've got the Outland Trophy winner, you know, at 
got left guard and you flip to the to the right side and you've got Johnny Caspers who was a high school teammate of, of Jordan Walsh. Uh, so it's one of those things that, uh, you know, it's a veteran group. They've got one sophomore and, and, and four seniors um, leading the way. It's, it's set the tone for a very productive uh, offense. And, uh, you know, there's no question that this is a Stanford team that uh, has been built around its offensive abilities. And, and there's no question that I was going to have to uh, to probably bring it to a plus game if it hopes to get out of, out of Pasadena with a victory. Four offensive Stanford players and they all pack 12 first team. Uh, running back McCaffrey, uh, two other offensive linemen that you just mentioned in their tight end. They've been very successful in the in the red zone. 52 of uh, 59 scores. 40 of those have been touchdowns at 68%. Lead the pack 12 in uh, third down offense and 51%. Third in the FBS. Lead the pack 12 in fourth down offense 86 percent conversions 12 of 14 that's as i said first in the pac 12 and also third in the fbs so they've been very productive at crucial moments and in crucial places on the field and you've got hogan behind center orchestrating it all i mean he's, he's completed 68 percent of his passes this season and, and, and he's been a 66 percent guy over over the course of the past four years so you know not unlike connor cook you know he's a he's a very experienced quarterback who has led that team to a ton of wins over time and he's not going to be an easy out and uh, with, with with the weapons that he has and I mean everybody talks about McCaffrey and and you know certainly with you know 1800 plus yards rushing he's a guy that uh, you know makes that thing go but you, you've got to take a look at those 24 touchdown passes he's only been picked off seven times in, in, in 283 attempts so he's a guy that uh, he's going to be in control back there and I don't like what C.J. Beathard has, has brought Iowa this guy has uh, you know he knows what he's doing with the keys to the offense. On the other hand, Iowa's been very successful on third down defense pretty much all season long. The last drive in the Big Ten title game is an exception. 37%. Back to Hogan. She said winningest active quarterback in the FBS. He's also 15-6 and six all-time versus AP top 25 teams. He's excellent at seeing what the defense is doing and trying to pick that apart. But he's also really good on his feet. He has 312 net rushing yards, five touchdowns on the ground, and he's the first Stanford quarterback in history to have more than a 1,000 rushing yards in his career. You have a kind of an interesting situation with Hogan, and then you throw in the sophomore running back, Christian McCaffrey, who probably should have won the Heisman instead of coming in second, and he actually passes the ball on occasion. Yeah, it's an interesting mix, and and they use him in a lot of different ways. He's as much of a threat to to throw it and and complete it as he is to run with it, and it just adds to the issues that, uh, you know, the, the multiple issues that I was going to have in defending this team. And, you know, they've got a couple of other backs who are pretty capable as well. Redmond Wright is a is a fifth-year senior. He's a Fort Wayne, Indiana kid, a Midwestern guy. But, you know, he's more of a, a LaShawn Daniels. They'll use him in short yardage and, and uh, particularly, uh, you know, uh, goal-line-type situations. There are just a lot of different uh, weapons out there. You take a look at Austin Hooper, the all-Pac-12 uh, 12, all uh, tight end you referenced earlier. I mean, he, he's a guy he has 71 catches over the last two seasons. He's a junior, and there, there's, uh, you know, there, like I said, there, there's there's potential potholes all over this thing if Iowa doesn't uh, play one of its better defensive games. And, and uh, you know, that's a challenge that, that, frankly, you know, everybody has pretty much faced this season when they faced Stanford. McCaffrey is also the leader in the FBS 
us in all-purpose yards. He averages 269 all-purpose yards a game. And we forgot to mention, he's also the leading receiver on Stanford. 41 catches, 540 yards, 4 TDs through the air. So not only does he have unbelievable rushing stats, he's pretty decent out catching passes as well. On the other side, however, Iowa's defense has been terrific all year long with takeaways. It has 26 of those, second in the Big Ten. Turnover margins plus 12. They've got 86 points off of turnovers. Iowa leads the Big Ten with 18 interceptions, and you just pointed out Stanford and uh, Hogan's only thrown seven all year. So the matchup between Iowa's defensive secondary, which not only has the Jim Thorpe Award winner and consensus All-American junior cornerback in Desmond King, but Mabin, Lomax, and Miles Taylor have been really very solid and getting better as the season's gone along. It's been a group that has uh, really made good progress this season. And as teams have kind of uh, tried to avoid Desmond Kane back there, you know, I think that's given, it's given certainly Mabin some tests, but it's also given an opportunity to kind of grow and improve. And, and I think that's that's going to be critical coming down the home stretch here in this final game. It, it, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, Iowa will need its defensive backs to play well. Uh, in addition to McCaffrey and, and to what Austin Hooper can do in terms of the passing game, you, you look at a guy like Michael Rector, who's got 32 catches as well, as well this season. And it's a, it's a it's a it's a deep group of receivers. He's Hogan is not afraid to throw to any of them. That's created issues throughout the season for for teams that have faced Stanford. And it'll be Iowa's primary concern heading into you know ultimately one of their most important bowl games in a long long time. And you mentioned their senior receiver Michael Rector. They've also got a really good fifth year senior uh, Devin Kajust, who's just right behind Rector in his stats. The other interesting thing here about this matchup is is I'm sure that Christian McCaffrey's got to be the best running back they faced all season, and they face some pretty decent ones. But Iowa's run defense has been more than solid. It's been really good all year long. It ran into some better teams and some better players there towards the end. But Iowa only gives up 115 rushing yards per game. They've only given up 10 rushing touchdowns all season long. The vast majority of those have come down the home stretch here when Iowa wasn't totally healthy. I think that, uh, you know, a little time to kind of heal some of those nagging wounds, I think, uh, will be beneficial for Iowa. I would expect another very stout effort from the Iowa defense. And, uh, you know, it starts up front, and, and those four guys across the front have been have been pretty solid, given given that, uh, you know, Parker Hesse was a guy that, you know, was expected to kind of fill a, a reserve role this year. And, you know, I think, you know, in, in Budget and, and Julio Johnson at Tapbots and, and certainly Meyer, uh, you know, the Hawkeyes have had uh, a chance to have just a terrific year up front. It, it's it's cemented by the by the work that, that you know they're getting out of the three guys behind them at the linebacker spots. I mean Fisher, Jewel, and uh, Ben Neiman have had really solid seasons, and that, that's allowed Iowa to become the run defense that it has been this season. I was only allowed one running back all year long to gain more than 100 yards on the ground. The play of the linebackers you just talked about it has been critical both in terms of stopping the the run, but also in setting the edge. That was a real problem for the last couple of years. For the most part, they've been successful at setting the edge all season long. Josie Jewell, the leading tackler. Cole Fisher right behind him. But Iowa has really, there. if you look at the chart with uh, the, uh, the tackle chart, they've, they've spread that around pretty well. Stanford, for example, their leading tackler is 80 more tackles than anyone else on their defense or middle linebacker. Iowa's nothing like that. If it's balanced on offense, it's balanced on defense, too. You know, and Ben Neiman's been kind of a critical component to that. I mean, the, the quickness that he's added to Iowa's 
linebacking uh, group will be uh, pretty important in this matchup. But as much as people like to talk about Stanford being a, a power team, and they certainly are as close to a Big Ten type power game uh, as anybody in the Pac-12, they do have some of that West Coast quickness, and, and uh, speed will be a, a factor in this game. And, and uh, you know, I certainly think that Ben Newman is, is in a position where he can help the Hawkeyes uh, in that area for sure. You talked about how good the defensive line has been against the run, but it's been somewhat inconsistent, especially in the second half of the season, at sustaining a consistent pass rush. Yeah, and I think some of that is Meyer has been Meyer's injury, uh, not to pin it all on one guy, but I, I think that uh, you know certainly with Drew Lott out, um, I, I think that that has you know was a factor mid-year, um, and and the fact that uh, that Meyer has not been 100%, I think is factored into that as well. And I, I do think that uh, you know getting him a little healthier. You know, he, he we had a chance to talk with him uh, earlier this week, and and one of the things that he brought up was you know we were talking about his injuries, and he just started pointing at different parts of his body that that had been hurt during the course of the season. And I kind of joked with him. I said, well, you're getting the you're getting the volume discount in the training room right now. And he kind of shook his head and he said, I ought to. He said, it's been one of those years. It's just like, it's never been anything real major, but it's always been little things that have kind of slowed him down and, and have, have impacted his ability to, to kind of get out and create the kind of havoc that we saw him create during the, uh, during the initial weeks of the season when he, he was a really good compliment on, on the other side of, of the line to, to what Drew Lott was delivering from, uh, from his position at the other end. Another interesting little statoid here is the Hawkeyes have allowed only 12 plays from the line of scrimmage of 30 yards or more. That's the fewest in the Big Ten. I think it'll be real interesting what schemes Phil Parker will come up with or has come up with already to, first of all, try to get some more pressure on Hogan because you can't let him sit back there, but uh, also to see how they scheme trying to add that pressure while they're also trying to contain both McCaffrey and Hogan. It's going to be critical. and That's where the time comes in. One of the things that Kirk Prince talked about in the news conference before the team left for California was that this is probably a you know a, a, an opponent that you're glad that you you have more than you know a typical three or four day work week to get ready for and you know I think that's uh, it's provided Phil Parker with a chance to kind of come up with a few ideas to, to maybe make some things happen uh, you know whether it be uh, you know a little more blitzing maybe than what I was is normally uh, you know accustomed to to running during the course of a game or just things to kind of get Hogan out of his comfort zone a little bit I think that's uh, you know that's going to be pretty that's going to be pretty important on the years Spilling over just a little bit into Iowa's offense, given Stanford's success all year long with the time of possession number and looking at, at Iowa's likely offensive scheme in this game, which probably isn't going to vary very much from what they've tried to do all season, you would think Iowa's offensive game plan will be designed to eat up as much clock and keep as much time of possession as possible. So I guess if you're looking at Iowa's defense, their ability to, to be helped by Iowa's offense staying on the field and their ability ability to shut down the Stanford def- uh, offense just enough to cut that time of possession back. I think if you end up with a time of possession that's pretty close to 50-50 in this game, you could see some interesting results. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a critical thing for the Hawkeyes. There's no question about that. And it's one of those things that you, you've got to play keep away a little bit. And that was the one thing in the second half against Michigan State that Iowa was not able to do. They weren't able to, to sustain anything offensively and have a chance to, one, let that defense rest a little bit. But two, 
chew up a little more clock and, and, and give Connor Cook fewer minutes and fewer snaps to work with. And the defense's inability to get off that field during that final drive of the game, that nine-minute march, it turned it turned that whole game around and, and, and left a very bitter taste within in, in the personnel, you know, both on both sides of the ball for Ireland. It's something that, you know, has been discussed in, in, in the week since, and it's going to be back there in the back of the minds. And, and uh, you know, it's not incumbent simply on, on the defense to perform in this game, the offense has to hold, uh, you know, its share of the load as well, and and it's something that uh, you know both sides of the ball they want to perform a little better than what they did in Indianapolis. So the Hawkeyes all time in the Rose Bowl. This will be their sixth appearance, or two and three. Both wins came under Evashevsky. All three losses under Hayden. What are your thoughts here in terms of the outcome of this Rose Bowl game? I think this is going to be another knockdown drag out, maybe with a few more points than what we saw in Indianapolis, but I, I do think that uh, the defense has to really set the tone in this one again. I think it's going to be a game that you know probably will be decided somewhere in the low 20s to, to uh, upper teens. I, I think that uh, if I had to put a score on it right now, I, I guess I would probably you know probably lean in Stanford's favor, probably with at about a 24-21 kind of clip. I think it's a game Iowa can win. I think Iowa's going to have to play probably the best game of the season. I think it's going to have to be a, a collective effort, and I think they're probably going to have to force a turnover or two against an offense that doesn't turn the ball over very much. And whether that be, you know, another interception or, or uh, you know, with the, with the physical strength uh, creating some, uh, you know, some fumbles, which, you know, was something we saw a little bit of in, in Indy. You know, I, I think that's, uh, those, are, those are the types of things that in these games can make a huge difference. This won't be the sexiest bowl game out there this season. It's, it's a great matchup. It's going to be one of those games, I think, that uh, uh, much like the Big Ten title game, I think it's going to be the type of matchup that, that good football purists are, are going to like to sit and watch because there'll be a little bit of a chess match going on through this one. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! Second down and 12 at the 30. Here's Cook under pressure and intercepted! Josie Jewell snatched it out of the air. They're going to bring the defensive end way inside and into Connor Cook's face and then Cook just panicked. Cook just tries to get rid of it, throws it right into the back of his lineman and Josie Jewell with a huge turnover. Only the fifth interception of the year. Throw by Connor Cook. Now Iowa with a great opportunity. Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319 848 4191 or toll free at 1 800 383 7663. You can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319 848 4191 or toll free at 1 800 383 7663.
Next, we're going to hear from the second special guest we have in this program, Derek Belch, who is co-founder and CEO of Striver Labs in Palo Alto, California. Striver is the first true practical virtual reality practice system developed for college and professional football teams, and in particular quarterbacks. It's a revolutionary approach to practice and is quickly being adopted by both NFL and FBS teams across the country. Derek laid the foundation for Striver during the 2014 season with the Stanford Cardinal football team. He was an assistant coach for that team while completing his master's degree. His thesis project was exploring virtual reality as applied to sports training, and he worked with the Cardinal during that season to build and test the technology that is now Striver. Belch was a former kicker for the Cardinal from 2003 to 2007. He's one of only two Stanford kickers in history to hit two 50-yard-plus field goals in a single game, and he kicked the winning extra point in Stanford's historic upset of USC as a 42-point underdog. We're talking today with Derek Belch, who's a kicker for the Stanford Cardinal back in 2004, an assistant coach for Stanford since that time, and he's co-founder and CEO of the Striver System, which is a first-of-its-kind revolutionary virtual reality practice system for football players, particularly quarterbacks. Derek, thanks for doing this, and can you just kind of give an overview of what the product and system is? Sure, John. Thanks for having me. You know, basically what we've done is we've created a a training system that's purely for mental reps, something physical work in some case, but very minimal. Uh, and when the quarterback or, or the linebacker or the safety or whoever puts thing on, we're giving you the exact view that you play from on the field, um, as opposed to the end zone and sideline view where it's, you know, 50 feet in the air and, and, and 50 yards behind you in some cases or to the side. That's just not a realistic view that players play from. So you uh, developed this along with Professor Jeremy Balenson out there. And uh, I know that uh, your quarterback at Stanford, Kevin Hogan, thinks it's really been helpful. I know Coach Shaw that I heard Coach Shaw say that it really helps in particular with quarterbacks who are able to see the actual way plays are developing and call out signals and so forth with these this sort of glasses and headset on, it, which actually saves practice time and and physicality issues with the, the linemen and the rest of the players on the offense. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the key things about what we're doing is it's not a video game. The you know Jeremy Balenson at Stanford has proven in his lab at Stanford that the video game stuff just doesn't work from a cognitive standpoint because the, the, the characters don't move like real people so you know our when, when you watch our stuff it, it's your guys it, it's your scout team defense or you know your left tackle your receiver um, the players move at real game speed and like you said uh, and like coach Shaw has said many times it's real I mean it's the real cadence it's the real route uh, it, it's the real timing of everything and that, that's absolutely critical it sounds like uh, coach Shaw was ready to use this right off the bat has it been any issues per persuading any of the quarterbacks yet to trust it and to get into it and feel comfortable with it you know yeah Yes and no. Uh, on, on the one hand, what we show the quarterbacks from the collegiate level all the way up to the NFL, it, it blows everybody away. I mean, it's really cool. They've never seen anything like it. There's no question as to this can be a valuable tool to help me or to help the backup or to help the team. But at the same time, you know, very candidly, this is very new. I mean, we're in some cases, we're, we're disrupting the routine of guys that have been doing this for 5, 10, 15 years. You know, Carson Palmer w- was quoted as saying about a month ago um, in a Peter King story for Sports Illustrated that he was, you know, resisting it first because it just didn't fit into his routine despite the fact that he thought it was cool and then a, a switch flipped for him and now he's all in and he, and he can't see himself you know living without it so um, we, we see cases like that and then we see other cases where guys just absolutely dive in right away uh, 
no questions asked. So it's a little bit all over the board, but bottom line, uh, nobody that we're working with right now at the team level, and we're working with 20 teams between college and the NFL, uh, there's no team that has just completely put it on the shelf. Uh, everybody uses it to some extent. As I understand it, you first got this idea, I think it was uh, 2005. Anyway, it was in one of Pro- Professor Balenson's classes, and you approached him about this, and he indicated that the, the state of the art, I guess, for lack of a better term, wasn't ready for this practical application idea that you had back then. So when did it actually start all coming together? Well, yeah, you're right. In 2005, you know, I had talked to Jeremy during class as an undergrad at Stanford and said, hey, is this technology that we could use to, to train athletes, and specifically football players? Uh, and the response was, great idea. Uh, it's just not ready yet. You know, at the time, the, the headset was $50,000. It had, you know, tethered to a huge, huge apparatus on the ceiling. Um, it just it was very clunky. The, the software wasn't, wasn't very clean. It was all really expensive. You know, flash forward to today, uh, a couple years ago in 2013, when I started coaching again at Stanford and approached him again, and he's like, hey, the technology's ready. And, uh, you know, it, it's still expensive. It's still time-consuming, but it, it's a fraction of what it was years ago, and, and it's something that, that it's only going to get better uh, over the next several years as the technology gets, gets even better. Now, you've moved very quickly. You've had several NFL teams sign on. You've had several college FBS teams sign on. I noticed that Brett Bielma, the head coach at Arkansas, who's a former Iowa Hawkeye, both player and assistant coach, was one of the early adapters, and he gives it high praise. Are you talking to other Big Ten teams, for example, right now? So as of right now, there there is not a Big Ten team in the in the roster. Uh, we are talking to several, given the timing of, of the season and, and training camps and bowls and all that. You know, we're, we're, we're getting pretty close with a couple. Uh, we've actually talked to a couple schools in Iowa, the, the two that are there, and uh, we'll see what happens there. It'd be awesome to get one of them, at least one of them, to jump on board, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, the, the first the first big, pe- big Ten team is waiting, and, and we'll see who it is. From what I've learned about this already, it's uh, Iowa fans may wish that uh, Iowa had already had the system. For people who would like to find out more, learn more about it, uh, dig in a little bit deeper. Is there a website they can go to? Yeah, the website is uh, striverlabs.com, F-E-R-I-B-R-L-A-B-S.com. ton of information there just as far as who we are, you know, the team that, that, that's, that's doing this on, on our end, uh, a little bit of the science. You know, we don't put too much out publicly because we work with all the information we deal with with these teams is very sensitive. I mean, we've got uh, a ton of stuff that a lot of people would, would love to get their hands on, opponents and stuff, but we take the security very seriously. The one thing that we do highlight on the website is is just who's involved with this. So you mentioned Jeremy Balenson, uh, a professor from Stanford who, who literally wrote the book on virtual reality. Um, we've got a Super Bowl champ, former Super Bowl champion, Heath Farwell, working for us. We've got Evan Moore and Trent Edwards who played in the NFL for six years. Uh, we've got myself who, who coached, and you know, we've got some Harvard MBAs, I and mean, we've got a really great group um, of, of former athletes and really, really smart people that are trying to, to nail this thing. Well, it sounds like you've really got something in hand here. Wish you luck, and thanks a lot uh, for taking time to explain it to Iowa fans and some folks here in the Midwest. West, you probably didn't know that much about it before. Thank you, John. Hopefully we're, uh, we're talking soon. Time now for our second Reporter's Notebook segment, this one with Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles in the Gazette and online at gazette.com and in his blog, Doc's Office. And you can also follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott looks at the Rose Bowl game matchup between the Hawkeyes offense and the Cardinal defense. Plus, he talks some special teams and he looks at some Big Ten Bowl games. Scott, this is our Rose Bowl preview. Deep dive. Look at Iowa's offense versus Stanford 
Stanford's defense. So much of the praise that Stanford gets relates to its offensive attack, but they've got a very good defense, not dissimilar from Iowa's in the sense that it's hard-nosed, physical. It's a kind of football they like to play. But if you look at some of the numbers, the defense has been vulnerable, the Stanford defense, to surrendering some significant yardage and uh, a lot of points in several games. Yeah, this is this team had to retool quite a bit in the offseason. They lost nine starters on a defense, and they, they were only an 8-5 and five team last year, so you kind of expected them to st- take a step back. And statistically, they're about in the middle of the pack. They're not quite as good as Iowa statistically, but you also have to remember the league in which they compete. I mean, the Pac-12, the teams they face, Oregon is a high-tempo high offense. California certainly is. So is Washington State. So, And then you got the Southern California schools to go along with it. So I, I think in some ways, you know, the numbers kind of uh, skew. It's kind of like Iowa on offense, where the numbers are never going to look great nationally because of the defenses they face. In this case, Stanford's numbers don't look great because of the offenses in which they face. But by and large, this has been a pretty good defense. You know, even to replace nine starters and to play the way they have, you know, I think uh, David Shaw has to be thrilled with the way that they've competed. I mean, they're 71st in pass defense, but I only give up 227 yards a game and 17 touchdowns and seven and had seven picks themselves. So, you know, conversely, Iowa gives up uh, just a little under 220 yards. So, you know, some of those numbers, one, the league in which they play, two, you've got to remember, they've got lead and teams have to pass to beat them. So I think that's, that's probably one of those numbers that you look at and, you know, you look at rank and think, well, they're probably not very good. And then all of a sudden you realize the external factors and it's it's not that glaring. But, but you know, the one of the things that they do do really well is play on third down against the pass, especially um, that, uh, you know, they're 23rd nationally on third down per pass percentage on defense. They allow, you know, 47.5% completions. And uh, out of 120 pass attempts, only 44 have gone for first down. So they really knuckle down on defense. They've got uh, good players that a lot of different positions there and uh and and we've seen that the way they've grown year, throughout the year i think has shown us why they're as good as what the, as they are to your point on third down overall they only give up 37 percent on uh, third down conversion attempts stanford gives up an average of 23.1 points a game the hawkeyes have been scoring 32.1 the thing that's probably been most singularly impressive with iowa's offense this year is how balanced it is over the season 5119 total yards, 24-96 rushing, 26-23 passing. While a lot of people are saying that Iowa's defense is, is facing the most impressive offense versus Stanford, I'm guessing that some of the Stanford folks are saying Iowa's offense may be the most balanced and the best running attack that it's faced all season. Certainly one of the, probably the most physical team they've played. And uh, that's something that I think uh, will be a measuring stick. Stanford will be out to show early. And they probably will slow it down early, at least the running game. And then, but then as that uh, cumulative effect takes place in the third and fourth quarters, I think that's what's going to be your change to see, you know, who's stronger than whom. You know, Iowa, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, you can't get more balanced than they are. I mean, and, uh, you know, this, the pass is skewed a little bit just because of the Michigan State game 
a you know an eighty five yard reception by Tavon Smith, but otherwise, I mean, it's almost fifty fifty, and that's perfection in, in a Kirk Ferentz offense. He wants to be able to run and pass with equal precision and and show uh, what, what they can do. Now, you know, the passing offense, you know, is, is, isn't ranked really highly, and and I think the scary part for their running game is that when it's third and short, they don't run very well. They uh, they're ninety third. They and, and when it's third down and, and anywhere from one to three yards, they're ninety third with forty four attempts and only 25 first down. So when Iowa gets in that short yardage situation, they don't often convert very well. And I think that's uh, that's something that you got to be a little bit concerned about. But but by and large, you look, you, they've got two, to me, NFL, you know, anywhere from second to fifth round offensive linemen in uh, in Jordan Walsh, a guard, and Austin Blythe at center. Blythe was a, Blythe was a Remington uh, finalist for the best center in the country. Jordan Walsh, some people even had him as a first-team All-American guard. He's that good. So Iowa has some physicality in the middle. They're going to be able to go up and, and do a pretty good job against Stanford, who is a big physical team, but again, hasn't played a team like Iowa in the trenches. And then, you, you know, C.J. Beathard, um, where would Iowa be without him? I mean, right now they'd probably be in the Music City Bowl, maybe the Foster Farms Bowl or the Holiday Bowl. They certainly would be in the Rose Bowl. Just uh, the the way he engineers a victory, and it's it's kind of a, a selfless way. He'll get the first down. He'll run on third and seven, you know, to pick up nine yards. If he needs to dive, he'll dive. If he needs to throw an 85-yard touchdown pass, he will. So uh, this this team, this balance, their strengths, the way they're able to uh, do it in, in multiple ways, I think makes them a difficult team to defend, especially a team like Stanford, which hasn't seen many teams like them. Iowa has 35 rushing touchdowns. That ties Ohio State for first in the Big Ten at seventh nationally. They've scored 30-plus points in five straight Big Ten games. That's the first time they've ever done that. But maybe most importantly, when you look at this matchup with Stanford is they have six touchdown drives of over 90 yards, 18 drives of over 75, and they also have eight touchdown drives of two plays or fewer, that explosive aspect to their offense. But you have to wonder if Iowa's offensive game plan will be to try to eat up a lot of clock because Stanford is right up there in terms of time of possession, incredible time of possession stats per game. If Iowa's goal won't be long, sustained touchdown drives, eat up the clock, keep Stanford's offense off the field. Absolutely, it needs to be the case. I mean, uh, you look at two major numbers Stanford has, but I think Iowa's offense has to help its defense. Number one, time of possession, they're number one nationally at 35 minutes a game. Again, some of it's skewed because of the conference in which they play, because some of those teams are three and out, three and out, three and out, and they'll they'll do it in 45 seconds. Um, so, you know, they, they do grind it out a little bit differently. But then the other thing is on third down percentage, they're third nationally at more than 51%. So they have long, grinding drives. And we saw that early in the Pac-12 championship game against uh, USC, where, you know, they, I think at one point, they had, uh, you know, like, I don't want to say like three to one in plays against USC. They had a nine-minute drive in the first quarter. And I, I think that's uh, that's something that really hurts, um, you know, a team. It really, again, the cumulative effect, which is the third and fourth quarter when the game's tight, the defense is worn out, then they get the first down. So in Iowa's case, they have to do the exact opposite thing. And they're going up against a team in a defense that's kind of comparable to theirs. They, they do a lot of different things. Um, they're four, primarily a 4-3. They generally rush four. Sometimes they'll blitz a little bit. But they have you know, a stand-up defensive end. So so they're it's not a foreign defense. This isn't, it's kind of got some aspects of maybe a little bit of what Michigan State does. But not primarily, they, they're a lot more like Iowa. So, you know, they will you know do things like they'll do blitzes in the A-gap a couple of different times. So, But 
but uh, but really they they're just a really physical unit, and uh, and Iowa's going to have to churn out some some major drive to keep the opposing offense off the field. It's kind of a battle of wills. They both wanted to accomplish the same thing, and I think it's really important in Iowa's case that they're able to to uh, sustain drives and uh, keep Stanford's offense off the field. Back to Beathard a minute. He's only thrown four picks all season long, and the fourth one was in the Big Ten title game against Michigan State that was kind of a ricochet fluke pick. And Stanford only has uh, seven picks all season long, which is, is not very good in in the Pac-12 overall, and in fact, in terms of turnover margins, kind of an odd stat. Stanford's had 12 giveaways, and they've had 12 takeaways. They're actually zero, where the Hawkeyes are a plus 12 on turnovers. If you look at the at the balance on Iowa's rushing attack, though, if you take Kanzeri, Daniels, and Wadley, and then throw in Bethard. That's nearly 2,200 yards rushing on the season, most of it coming from the three running backs. Yeah, this is a very balanced team. Uh, they've got, you know, they've scored 54 touchdowns overall, uh, which is, you know, certainly among the best that Kirk Ferentz has ever had, averaging 32.1 points. And I think most impressively is they average over 4.7 yards a carry. And uh, even though in short yardage situations, they're maybe not as uh, good as they need to be, they're certainly explosive. Uh, you see it with uh, all three running backs, uh, you know, from uh, Jordan Canzeri's long runs against Illinois and Nebraska to Sean Daniels against Minnesota and Akron Wadley and what he did was able to do against Northwestern. I mean, they're able to do it in different ways with different people. They're able to run inside and do it. They're able to run outside and do it. So they've got they've got a great combination there at running back, and I think that's uh, that's something that can be helpful. I remember talking to Brian Ferentz before the season, and one of the things you know we were t- I asked him specifically. About yards per carry and if that's an important stat or not and he said that uh, he thinks it is and uh, you know for his offense because you know, what it comes down to is when everybody in the stadium thinks and knows you're going to run the football and you're able to do it then then you've accomplished a goal at a physical school like Iowa and he said if we can run somewhere between four and a half and five yards a carry on a consistent basis that's not just mean we're going to have a good team that means we'll have a championship caliber team and I think right now you look at 4.7 yards a carry what happened they won a championship so I, th- I think that's a really good number for Iowa, and they've got enough balance, and they've got enough difference in the in the players they have there to be successful. Iowa's receiving core has been pretty impressive this season, but maybe most interesting as the season unfolded was the evolution of the tight ends and how much and how critical their play has been to Iowa's scoring success. I mean, you look at a guy like George Kittle; he's got six touchdowns, even though he only averages 22.3 yards in receptions a game. And then you've got Vandenberg still leading in receptions, but Krieger Koble has had a terrific season, and Tavon Smith has been some really big plays. They've got a good balance um, in the passing game. I mean, as you mentioned, Devon Smith, I mean, he missed a couple of games in the middle. I think people forget that, but uh, then he was able to, to pull down one of the most impressive catches of the season there against Michigan State for, you know, an 85-yard score where, you know, people forget how hard it is to track a, a ball that's in the air for 57 yards like he did, but he high-pointed it and he was able to score and that showed his, you know, his range and versatility, but also his skill set. And then Matt Vandenberg's been underrated all year. I think any team would 
would love to have a guy like that. He's a great possession receiver, but he's also very athletic. I think people undersell that. And then then you look at the tight ends. I mean, they could not be more different, yet here they are first cousins. You know, Henry Krieger Coble, physical inline blocker. He has great hands, can do so many different things. And you look at George Kittle. He's a hybrid, almost a wide receiver playing tight end, but six touchdown passes. Pro Football Focus had him an honorable mention, honorable mention at, uh, or honorable mention tight end uh, at postseason because he's so because of the way he can catch the ball. And I think you know all four of them. I think have futures playing professional football. Whether it's you know I don't know if they'll be I'll be drafted, but I think they've all been really strong for Iowa. And uh, you know again their, their numbers, the numbers as a whole don't really show much. I mean you know they they're 89th in the country in pass offense on you know 15 touchdown passes. I mean that's not really anything that screams this is effect you know some sort of superhuman offense. However, it's the execution with which they play that I think makes them so dangerous. Zeroing in a bit more on Stanford's defense and what Iowa fans can expect to see, they have a really active group of linebackers who are critical to their defensive play, but it's so strange looking at their their leading tackler, who's uh, one of their linebackers named Blake Martinez. He has 80 more tackles than any other member of the Stanford defense. Yeah, they, they try to isolate him. They, they play a lot like Iowa, which is, you know, it's a 4-3 front. A lot of it is to tie up the blockers and allow their their middle linebacker, Blake Martinez, to roam to the football. And he's a big guy. He's 6'2", 245. You know, he led the Pac-12 in tackles per game. He was a leading tackler, I think, in 11 of their 13 games this year. Um, you know, smart guy, you know, first team all, Pac-12, you know, but, the, you know, those are really surprising numbers. I mean, you look at, and then they have another guy, you know, Kevin Anderson, you know, who's, uh, you know, kind of a, a guy who's he's a little bit more athletic in some respects. You know, he's taller. He, he has eight and a half tackles for loss, whereas, you know, Martinez is just mainly their stopper at 4.5. But, but uh, you know, this, this unit, yeah, it's very active. It's very athletic, diverse in, in their backgrounds. I mean, it's kind of an interesting unit. I think it would be one that people would appreciate if they knew a little bit more about. You know, all three of them are, are uh, very difficult players to, to defend because they're, they're big and strong and physical, but they're also very quick and they're active and they get to the ball. And, and in some respects, they can play out in space, you know, kind of like Iowa's guys again. And, and I think that's what makes them such a – that's probably the heart and soul of this defense, I would say. They don't get a whole lot of sacks. They've had 27 on the season. They're down linemen, one of them. Actually, they, they have two guys, all Pac-12 first team on the defense. One is Martinez, and the other is a guy named Aziz Shitu. I want to be careful how I pronounce it. But they do get a lot of tackles for loss. Yeah, they're very active up front. I mean, they've got a good physical unit, so they're going to be you know difficult for you know Iowa to go up against. But then again, this is a team that goes uh, you know against teams that they've been beating. You know, the offense rubs them all the way down, and then they get a chance to go after the football or go after the quarterback. And and uh, they're very athletic uh, at every position on the field. In the Michigan State game, the Spartans linebackers really had a lot to do with how effective Michigan State's defense was against Iowa's offense. And I'm sure Stanford's looking at that video pretty closely to see how they were able to shut down Iowa's offense for most of that game. Do you think there's going to be any hangover offensively for Iowa from the Big Ten championship game? I don't think that's the case. I think that they're probably, if nothing else, very frustrated with how they played. I I think they were a better team than they showed offensively. I think they failed to, they failed to really get in any kind of rhythm offensively. They, you know, they had what, 10 plays, I want to say, or six plays inside the 10 or something to that effect. You got three points out of it. They had that, uh, you know, kind of ricochet interception in the end zone that really, you know, I mean, it was a three-point play and then at least, and 
and and so you look at you know that you look at the fact they didn't start attacking down the field until late in the game that was kind of an issue for them so I think there's I, I, I and I would say that there was really no real strong game plan when it came to running the football it was kind of like well let's see what we can do and tip their toe in the water and never really you know emphasize it and then once in a while it's like okay let's run the football and then Michigan State's too good Michigan State's defense is way better than Stanford's it's not close uh, Malik McDowell is as good as there is over the nose and then you look Lee Calhoun nobody on the field is anywhere approaching that I would say Blake Martinez close to Riley Bola but I would put Bola ahead of him um, so I think this is a game where the Iowa's offensive frustration is probably there's no hangover effect in fact I think that they'll probably be more energized to play this game versus the way they competed against uh, against Michigan State quick look at uh, special teams here you have uh, stats are pretty even on punting for both teams same on kickoffs uh, kick returns Iowa's going to have to be aware of McCaffrey, who's their star running back and was second in the Heisman voting, both on, on kickoffs and punts. But Stanford's going to have to be aware of Desmond King, who's second in the Big Ten in kickoff returns at 25.6 yards, third in punt returns at 13.3 yards. Both of those have been much improved this season over last year and the last few years, for that matter. Yeah, Iowa's special teams have been better. they put an emphasis on it. They've added, you know, put more starters on the units, the coverage units. Um, it was poor, you know, at times last year. And this year they've allowed players to get away from them. I mean, William Likely from Maryland is a terrific returner, um, you know, more explosive than McCaffrey is. Um, and then you look at some of the, uh, you know, other players that, you know, they've gone up against. You know, so I, I and Desmond King is, you know, I think Iowa had a shift in philosophy that instead of just securing the football and that's it on, on the punt return, you know, it's like, no, let's make plays. And, and I can think of two especially that early season plays that were made in the kick return game that changed the outcome of the game. And I would say one would have been the Iowa State game where Desmond King was able to take a punt and that's back to midfield. Um, Iowa was able to capitalize and then score a, a, you know, the go-ahead touchdown with you know less than three minutes to go. And then you look at Pittsburgh where he was able to uh, return, you know, with under a minute to go, he was able to return the kickoff 30-plus yards or whatever, and they're able to get a 57-yard field goal, which is also impressive. The only area for, of concern for me for Iowa would be you know their their short range kicking game. Uh, Marshall Kane, I think, is just five extra points. That's really unacceptable, and and, and that needs to change because you'd hate to lose a game by one point because of that. We saw that in 2010 when one was blocked against Wisconsin, and that was a game that turned out to be a fork in the road at both programs. So, uh, you know, now when you're looking at Stanford, you've got Christian McCaffrey, and he is as explosive as any player. He's the, the best player offensively that Iowa will face all year. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And in special teams, he's just every bit as dangerous. To me, he reminds me of LaDainian Tomlinson with which he plays. He's just, you know, incredible in so many areas. I mean, he averages more than 31 yards of kick return. Now, punts, he's not so strong. I mean, he, you know, three yards of return as long as it's 16. That's manageable. And if you can hold him to that, take it. I just take it right now. But but the kick returns, you've got to get down there. you got to stay in your lanes because this guy's quick. He's fast. He's strong. He's physical. He can do it all. So I think Iowa has to be really concerned about that. Uh, but if they contain him, though, or if Marshall Kane can do what he does well, which is kick the ball out of the end zone, then you take away all of his effectiveness there. So I like Iowa in, in the special teams department because I think if they can neutralize McCaffrey, I think they're fine. Before we get your prediction, quick 
Tom Answer, really kind of the best, most comprehensive bowl guru in Iowa media. You certainly focus on it all the way from the beginning of the season. But the Big Ten matches its conference records. They've got 10 teams in bowls, even though a couple of them didn't really qualify under the normal rules, had to go under under the special exceptions this year. But the three that most people are focusing on, obviously Iowa and Stanford in the Rose Bowl for Hawkeye fans. But you have what's shaping up as a, maybe a terrific game down in the Fiesta Bowl with Ohio State and Notre Dame. And then, of course, you have the college football playoff matchup between Michigan State and Alabama and another situation where everybody in the national media, especially south of the Mason-Dixon line, pretty much disses the Spartans and is already giving this game to Alabama. That's going to be a challenging game for Michigan State, but I think it's a winnable game if Connor Cook is healthy. It was obvious he was not healthy when he played against Iowa. He couldn't throw the ball down the field with his usual velocity, and you know, and, and Michigan State's got players, and I think this is kind of a strange matchup because, I mean, when you're going on reputation, uh, you know, Alabama, of course, is the king of the world when it comes to college football, but I, I, I've read some things, especially from Southern writers, that Alabama's better at 21 of the 22 positions, and I completely disagree. Now, you know, if you want to say that, you know, Sean Robinson at the defensive tackle is better than Malik McDowell, okay, but all Malik McDowell has to do is be better than Ross Pierschbacher. He doesn't have to be better than Aston Ross. And you look at, uh, you know, at center, Ryan Henry and Jack Allen were both Rivington finalists along with Austin Bly. Um, so, you know, basically you're saying, well, Ryan Kelly's obviously better than Allen, so therefore they're better than that. That's, that's laughable. I don't understand that kind of thinking at all. I think this is a team, though, that absolutely has to pass to win. Alabama's run defense is so good, and I don't think they're going to allow Michigan State to go 22 plays like Iowa did. And that was as good of a drive by both teams as I've ever seen. However, you know, they were able to get the last turn. And I think this is a take, you know, with uh, Aaron Burbridge and with the tight end that they have, I think, and Connor Cook, if he's healthy, I think they can score on Alabama. Can they defend them? Yes, I think they can. But it's going to come down to that really tight game. I don't see the you know, I think the point spread is hovered somewhere around between eight and a half and ten points. I don't see it being quite that high. I think it's a touchdown game at the most, and maybe it's a touchdown at the end that wins it. But I think Michigan State's right there. And then when you look at uh, Ohio State and, and Notre Dame, I mean, you know, Ohio State is a finicky team. We've thought about it all year long. When they are at their best, they're better than everybody else in the country. But they've really never played there, you know. And they, I, I, I kind of wonder, you know, they had that off season. They had some guys suspended. They just, you know, they had Scarlett gray days on BTN. They were awfully full of themselves, and they just, I think everybody, and including themselves, were just expecting Ohio State just to kind of put it in, in overdrive, and boom, there they are. They're going to win them all. And then Michigan State showed that, hey, there are teams out there that, that want to win, too. And they were the most physical team on the field. They stopped them offensively, and then they had no no second gear in, to, to get back into. And then I think they showed what they're capable of when they played Michigan. So uh, Notre Dame, I think, is a very good team. I, I mean, they matched up really well Stanford, obviously, I think they would with Iowa. But I think Ohio State, at, at playing at a high level, which I respect them to now after having that disappointment against uh, Michigan State, I, I think Ohio State rolls in that one. All right, it's time back to the prediction for the Rose Bowl. Most of the uh, people who put money on games and speculate are, are making Stanford a six-point plus or minus favorite over the Hawkeyes. What's your thoughts? 
<laughs> this is a tough game to pick. Um, I, I think you look, you know, what aspects do they do well? What do they? What are the weaknesses and strengths for each team? I look at Iowa with its balance on offense, its physicality. I think it can sustain drives for its time. Against Stanford on offense, it has to. It has to keep scoring. This is the best offense they've played all year, and it's not close. Uh, nobody else can compete with this. Not Indiana, not Nebraska, nobody. So I think they've got, you know, they're going to have to slow you know, uh, Stanford down. I mean, and, and again, they're facing, to me, Christian McCaffrey is more like LaDainian Tomlinson back there, the way he runs. The quarterback, Kevin Hogan, is a winner. They've been around a lot. He reminds me of Dan Persa, which I think automatically should scare Iowa fans. They've got, you know, a lot of good receivers, not great wide receivers. I think Iowa's better, but, but I think this is a team that, that's going to gouge them. And we've seen it happen. You know, that Iowa's been but don't break is sometimes allowed teams to score and, and sustain drives. And then at the end, it, you know, kind of gives out, you know, at least it did against Michigan State. So I think uh, I like Stanford to win. I think it's going to be close. I like Iowa's ability to score. I think Stanford probably pulls it out 31-27. But, I, you know, this has been a remarkable year. And, it, you know, I would say the Northwestern game reminds me of this, where I, I think everybody expected Iowa to lose and they won. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they were able to pull it out, but I think Stanford's offense and experience in big games is just too too great of a hill for Iowa to overcome. That's it, I'm out of here. This could be the final play of the game. Five seconds remaining. C.J. Beathard throws it over the middle. Ball fumble. Loose. Recover. The Michigan State Spartans are the Big Ten champions. Hello, college football playoff East Lansing. The Michigan State Spartans and Iowa their first loss of the season. The Spartans, Big Ten champs once again. 16-13, the final. Just a reminder, you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawkeyes. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, and Facebook. Also be sure to check out all of the Hawkeyes stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette and the Quad City Times. Our thanks again to Fox Sports for the game highlights in the show. And thanks, as always, to both Steve Batterson and Scott Docterman, not only for this program, but throughout the entire season for their time and participation. And very special thanks to our two special guests in this program, Bob Brooks and Derek Belch. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.